welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. As this is our regular news day show, I guess you and me, as Dana is busy, busy, busy. Let's get this show going. And again, everyone, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's start the show off with our first cup. And in reality, amazingly, even though it's an afternoon recording, I'm on my second cup of coffee with some oat milk uh, creamer, I guess you call it, or whatever. So, something new. Very, I, I literally bought it based upon the cost. It was the most costly of the things in the uh, uh, little refrigerator at my Ralph's. I didn't want to go with the regular coffee made stuff, so I bought the oak oat oat milk uh, creamer dairy half and half thing. So let's get right on with the news today. We have a number of articles to go through. Uh, not all of them specific to financial aid and not all of them as updates from the feds or the state. But first one, we do have an update from our friends at Department of Ed. So they put out just last week an electronic announcement with a notice of the updated draft of 2023-2024 FSA or Federal Student Aid application materials. So updated drafts of these proposed materials, which would be like the FAFSA and the output of the FAFSA, which is called the student aid report, are now available for public comment. The comment period is, you know, the opportunity for us to provide feedback and input on the information that is collected on the FAFSA. Uh, <clears throat> keeping in mind, only comments regarding the FAFSA form and related forms should be submitted during this comment period. Comments relate to topics like, you know, the federal student aid ID or the verification process don't come in during this time. So this was officially announced in a federal register on May 31st. So there's a 60-day comment period here, and it'll be uh, compiled into a single document that includes department responses. And there's a link in this electronic announcement where you can see that document. So just to let you know, the documents that are posted, the FAFSA form, the SUNAID report itself, the SUNAID acknowledgement, the paper summary of enhancements to the FAFSA form, and a couple other things. So if you do have comments, I would say get those in soon. Because again, this is the 2023-24 FAFSA that in reality is coming out at the end of this year in October. So it says here, Comments must be submitted by June 30th, 2022. On to the state. So we have an update from the California Student Aid Commission. This one seems to be a little old. It's May 10th, but I had it swimming around in my email. So maybe we already talked about this. This is an update on 2021-22 Cal Grant C awards. So as you know, as communicated in other uh, uh, notices last year, the state budget included an expansion of the Cal Grant program by establishing the California Community College Entitlement Cal Grant. 
Um, you know, this new program established Cal Grant, Cal Grant A and B entitlement eligibility for students attending community colleges who were not awarded at the time of high school graduation. So that's just an updated here. Now it says here, students not previously awarded a Cal Grant A or B in any award cycle have now been processed for potential Cal Grant C awards. So these will be our C3 awards you would see on your roster if they're being awarded to your students. You know, normal criteria and all that, but just to let everybody know. There's some additional information and details to let you know how to look for these students, how to find them on your roster. So I will definitely include in a, a link to this operations memo for you in our show notes. Now, my next article here was announced in a number of places just last week, and that is that the current Biden administration has canceled out about $5.8 billion in student loan debt from former Corinthian College students. So this was announced last week, Wednesday, that it will cancel $5.8 billion in student loans for approximately 560,000 borrowers who attended the now-defunct network of for-profit schools that was under the umbrella name of Corinthian Colleges. Some of these former students were already eligible for debt cancellation, but the new action will ensure all borrowers who attended since founded in 1995 through its closure in 2015 get debt Relief. relief. So at the peak, it says here, you know, Corinthian Colleges enrolled more than 110,000 students at 105 campuses. So this is beyond California, everyone. But it included colleges with names like Everest, Held, H-E-A-L-D College, and Wyotech. Looks like Wyoming almost. So the Department of Ed had found that Corinthian Colleges misled prospective students about the ability to transfer credits and falsified its job placement rates. So that's why they're doing this major item here. So you can read more. The article that I linked to is one that's under CNN. Not trying to play favorites with anyone, but it did seem like uh, the most straightforward of some of the articles here uh, to explain what was going on. But you'll find this article posted in a number of places, including NASFA News on the FSA Partner Connect website and and in some other mainstream sites, uh, uh, news sites, because, again, it's such a large amount of money and students affected. Moving on to an opinion piece, because the next few articles here that I have are kind of a mix of things. This one comes from the Press Enterprise. I wish I could tell you what city they're from again. <laughs> it's one of those that... uh. It's not the easiest thing to find here other than it might be Southern California. And I love when it's a web page that you're just trying to scroll to the bottom of the page to get the contact info. And what do they do? <clears throat> they just keep adding more pictures of clickbait so you never find the bottom of the page. But this one here I knew was Southern California because the picture on the article is from Long Beach City College. And the article here, or opinion piece, I should say, from the Press Enterprises. If students don't return soon, community colleges are facing a financial crisis. And so we've talked a bit about this, you know, that in fact, you know, even though we've got free tuition going on, students or Californians in particular are shying away from community, community colleges. And although that we've had fairly robust investments in two-year public institutions, thanks to much money from the federal and state level, that it might be 
as it says here in the opinion piece, time to downsize some of the California's 73 community college districts um, and look at what we have for actual demand for services. So, you know, it says here, during the pandemic when unemployment skyrocketed to say community college fall enrollment dropped from 1.66 million in 2019 to 1.46 million in 2020 and now down to 1.35 million in 2021. Keeping in mind that way back in around 2007, 2008, we peaked at just under 2 million students in the California community colleges. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. Usually I've always, when I've talked to people outside the financial aid community, it is one of these things that, you know, when we hit recessions and upturns in unemployment, oftentimes people return to community colleges to get retooled, to learn new, you know, learn new uh, skills, uh, sometimes completely change fields of work. But none of that appeared to happen during the pandemic. And again, partly because we had such uh, a large amount of free money coming at people from everywhere else. You know, we had extended unemployment uh, as far as both time and the amounts and other free money that was available. And we had plenty in higher ed too, but you did have to enroll for it. And so I don't think everyone caught on to that or maybe the amounts weren't enough. But this is an interesting opinion piece. Uh, and he is a, uh, the, the author is Mark Jaffe, a senior policy analyst at Reason Foundation, tied to uh, Reason Magazine. If you didn't know, that is kind of like the, uh, the libertarian world of thought. So don't expect a <clears throat> soft and cushy progressive lean in on this uh, opinion piece here from Press Enterprise. But I want to make sure we present as many sides as possible to the problems that many of us in financial aid see every day at our colleges. But moving on, <clears throat> got a couple articles here straight from CNBC. And the first one, again, some of these are kind of half article, half opinion piece, but we'll go with them. So this was under their personal finance posted early in May uh, by Jessica Dickler. Uh, a strong job market is causing more students to drop out of college. The potential loss of future earnings, however, is significant. And so that's the whole thing here. It's got three key points to look at. You know, as the U.S. economy continues to add more jobs and wages rise, some college students are choosing to join the workforce instead of return to or go off to college. Opportunity cost of staying in school is greater among lower income students. And at the potential loss of these students' earnings and futures is going to be significant. So, you know, it looks and, you know, look at the type of things that they discuss here of why people might be picking career over higher ed. You know, in April, employers added 428,000 jobs and wages grew by 5.5% year over year. That can be pretty good. So, you know, what happens is students end up then taking less classes working more hours, or potentially you know, unenrolling completely. But again, there is some long-term effect to this. And this is why with younger students and all students, uh, as much as possible, we talk about trying to attend full-time to stay on target. Because the longer you stretch it out, the more likely you could just drop out and stay working and not moving up in your work. You know, new positions, new places of work, new uh 
you know, moving up the ladder instead of just laterally on the ladder. But also, it is a case that it's easier than to get distracted down the, down the, you know, down and you know, as time goes by, because you'll get used to earnings, and it's hard to give up earnings to go back to school, and trying to balance the two can be quite hard. So, uh, it's a very interesting uh, article here. It does use information from a report from the National Student Loan or what used to be student loan, now it's the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. You know, as far as the number of undergraduates in college is down 6.6% compared to just two years ago. What does that equal to up to? Over a million students less going off to college. So definitely worthwhile reading. It's a little bit longer than normal, but certainly worthwhile checking out. Let's do one more CNBC, and then we'll take a little bit of a music break. So here kind of related to it, a separate article posted that looks like about a couple weeks later uh, by the same person at CNBC. Post-pandemic, four years of college steadily loses its appeal. So again, same kind of idea here that the strong labor market's having an effect on students continuing with college. It also notes here, you know, likelihood of attending a four-year school sank from 71% to 51% in the past two years. And nationwide, fewer students went back to college this year, dragging down undergrad enrollment, you know, 3.1% just from the last year. Keeping in mind that, again, we were talking 6% over a couple of years here. So it starts off with the story of Xander Miller, who was graduating from a high school in Minnesota this June. And rather than attend Minnesota State or get a liberal arts degree like an older brother, he's enrolling in Dakota County Technical College with guaranteed job through Waste Management's Apprentice Program. So this is a student taking an alternative path, which we would never shy students away from instead of going the four-year path. Again, between trades and apprenticeships, it oftentimes can be very worthwhile for students. So uh, definitely worthwhile reading this article. Uh, you know, it's got a nice little chart here that kind of explains some of the stuff we're going to talk about in some later news articles today about the rising college costs out there. You know, the average tuition and fees adjusted for inflation. And when you look at private nonprofit four years versus public four years and public two years, it, it's very significant growth you'll see on this chart of the average tuition fees at those private nonprofits. Private nonprofit being a school like, say, University of Southern California or Pepperdine, Chapman University in Orange County. If you go up north, Stanford. Santa Clara University and such. So wide variety of schools, wide variety of prices, but on average, those tuition and fees, you know, they show back in 1970 where it was only a little over $10,000 for such a school. We are now closing in on the 40000 mark. Again, adjusted for inflation. Whereas with a public four-year school, we started, you know, at about two or $3,000 a year back in 1970. And now we're just hitting the 10,000 mark. And with community colleges, like most of our listeners here, starting out at what on the chart must be close to zero <laughs> and working our way up to about two to $3,000 a year. So definitely a worthwhile read here again from CNBC. But before we continue on with any more wonderful articles, take a little bit of a musical break and we'll be right back. 
of course. Couldn't leave you alone too long. So we're right back again. And this time for our second cup segment. The slow fill. Didn't want to blast it away again. So continue with an article from Inside Higher Ed at InsideHigherEd.com. Tides of exits without degrees still rising. So these are students who went to college and left before earning a credential. And so, again, using research uh, from the report, some college, no credential, coming from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. You know, <clears throat> similar reports that they've put out about every five years, it seems here. Total number of uncredentialed students reported represents an 8.6% increase and partly reflects the impact of COVID on academic outcomes. So this report, this newest report they put out, you know, covers the 2019-20 school year, the 2020-21 school year in all 50 states, including District of Columbia and U.S. territories. Surprising here, only Nebraska and Connecticut did not experience an increase of students stopping out. Who knew? In those two states, 0.1% 0.1% and 0.3% fewer students left college than in 2019, respectively. Interesting statistics. So, you know, this is a good article in the sense that it does address some of the things that, you know, are concerning us. You know, students who start school, all the greatest. You know, we always have ambition expectation, but then things happen. And again, part of the value of going to college is really wrapped up in that end thing, the degree, the certificate. You can always say you had three or four years of study, but if you really don't have that degree or certificate, it's hard to show to employers and such, let alone a graduate school, that you're able to meet the qualifications for the jobs. Now, in reality, many of those students, or former students, we should say, do, but it's a system. You know, it's, it's unfortunately, not, this comes from the book of the, by, I think it's Brian Kaplan, called The Case Against Education that I read, and we've talked about, and it's probably been one of my I Dare You Tos, that talks about how we've really put such value here into the degree or certificate in lieu of actually trying to suss out the skills and abilities of people who are applying for jobs at almost any kind of position. You know, I mean, why would you need a bachelor degree for so many jobs that ask for it when in reality all it is is a screening mechanism? So check out the article. I'm not going to go into detail. It's It's a pretty long one here but uh, definitely worthwhile to read. Continuing on in a similar manner here, this is kind of our uh, slightly off-topic day. An article from the Chronicle for, or Chronicle of Higher Education on why does college cost so much? The answers aren't so simple. And I can tell you that because I probably own five or six books exactly on this topic. So, you know, it starts off in this by Lee Gardner from, 
again, the Chronicle. The national debate over whether to forgive outstanding student loans has circled around a, a set of policy questions. How much, if any, student loan debt should be forgiven? 10000 or less? 50000 All of it? Who would benefit? Would a decision pay off politically or spark a backlash? And so, <clears throat> along with that, as it says here, a more fundamental question is coming up, and I think this is the one we all have to look at. Why is college so expensive in the first place? So, it says here, this question was asked this month. This was from May by Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut, who said that his party's focus on debt forgiveness excuses the colleges for this dramatic increase in tuition. And like I said, I got a number of books on this topic that look at it from a number of different angles and all as far as why does college cost so much? And so, uh, you know, it's everything from the what they call the Bennett curve or the Bennett theory coming from former secretary of education, Bill Bennett, who uh, theorized that part of the reason colleges costs keep going up is because of the available subsidized aid that's going out to students between the, you know, ever increasing amount of Pell Grant, the amount of student loans that a student can borrow increasing. And it has over time a few times and other financial aid from both federal and state Sources, along with schools themselves, they're part of this whole thing. At least four-year private schools are. So looking at that as part of the explanation. So uh, I don't want to ruin everything here. You know, they keep talking about how states have died, disinvested in higher ed. But I think we've talked about a couple articles in particular that kind of show that to be a little bit of a lie. You know, not every state has really disinvested in higher ed. It's, some schools have maybe put less money forth or raise tuition to help cover costs, but they actually lower it. I have a hard time believing that, especially with the other reports that are out there. Now this one, I believe is so far as a subheading, because this is a long article. Colleges spend more money. Who could have guessed? And it's not on the, uh, the frilly things, you know, as far as um, fitness centers and stuff like that. It's everything from research uh, to new, uh, institutions or buildings within a program it could be you know upgrades one of the things you'll hear about if you work at enough colleges um, is a continual talk about deferred maintenance apparently we like to build buildings we just don't like to keep up the maintenance and that is kind of true we'll hire people to do daily cleaning but we won't think twice about the fact that in five to ten years some major system will need some fixing then it talks about administrators and other costs here. Uh, this is an interesting subtopic. The public sense of what college costs is askew and colleges are largely to blame. And that's probably true. You know, colleges want to purport to be lower costs and such. But what happens is there's real cost behind all the things that go on to make a college run. So definitely worth reading. Uh, if you're not a Chronicle subscriber, you can still get a login at least. And I think you get a couple free articles every month. And that's what I've been doing since I dropped mine a, a number of years ago. I will say one of my I dare you to says, if you do decide to sign up and pay for the Chronicle of Higher Education, it's literally the same price if you get the digital and the print. And again, unless you're really <clears throat> a, a true tree hugger, 
where you do not like paper at all, I get them both. Because in my mind, if I'm going to pay that kind of money, I want more than just digital access. I want someone to actually take some pain and put this uh, like Wall Street Journal sized newspaper in my postal mailbox every couple weeks. And it's also easier to read sometimes for me to have it in hand. Last couple articles here. So this one comes from the Hechinger report titled Decoding the Price of College, Complexity of Figuring Out Costs Hold Students Back. So it says here, experts say many students think college is out of reach despite financial aid options because the process of applying is too daunting. So this takes it purely from more of a student perspective here uh, as far as college costs. Like it starts, sorry, the article starts interesting here. College costs differ for almost everyone, just like airline tickets. But while plane tickets vary by carrier, data purchase, and luck, college costs hinge on reported family income, assets, the grades a student got in high school, the type of institution they want to attend, and mastery of a complicated application system. So there's some examples here of students. And again, trying to get at the idea of the value of college. And again, trying to understand sticker price of a college versus actual cost, among other things. For example, like filling out the FAFSA, something we've talked about on different shows as far as both the complexity of, the wide availability of, and again, it's, uh, you know, it's a form that uh, you got to do it if you want some money. Why would you not do it? At least to find out if you're going to qualify for something. So I'm going to leave it with you at that. I don't want to go any farther into the article. I found it to be a pretty good read because, again, I like to read about things regarding the cause of college and, you know, again, either misperceptions or the ideas that you see coming out from people as far as how to lower those costs. That leads into one of my last couple articles here. From the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal, reducing college or reducing student costs and enhancing the value of college from Lawrence Peterson. And again, it talks about, you know, how unfortunately we have at colleges increasing costs and declining value. If you listen or you read any of the articles I guess brought up earlier today. So, you know, as it says here in a 2020 article, Wake Up Higher Education, the degree is on the decline. And this was a you know, an article out of Forbes, so definitely worthwhile reading. You know, it casts doubt on whether higher ed will answer the wake-up call at, at all. You know, if students couple early strategic planning with a careful selection of their program of study and their elective courses, you know, again, trying to be efficient on what we take, they can address many of the cost and value issues. You know, and improve prospects you also must have strategic goals, students, when selecting their school, including assessing possible career interests, keeping on budget, and, you know, and also probably the biggest one that relates to everything else we've talked about today, you know, determining what is an acceptable amount of debt following graduation. So lots of numbers, lots of detail in this article, so I don't want to go into it any further, but I'll give you links to this and all the other ones for your later reading. Bringing us to our last article of the day, also out of the Chronicle of Higher Education, related straight to my work here. 
titled, Financial Aid Offices Are Short-Staffed and Some Are Drowning as a Result. And so it talks to a uh, you know, new survey that was done by NASA recently of actual financial aid administrators and how we are understaffed and bigger problem, trying to struggle to fill open positions. So the findings, which are to be released, no, they're already released last week, it looks like. So I was one week off on when it said released on Tuesday. Uh, it was released last week that there are concerns uh, among the profession as far as trying to deal with leaner staffs while still serving students. And again, it kind of goes into a lot of things that we've talked about before and our concerns, you know. It was interesting from the report here, you know, it talks about how financial aid offices, that among financial aid offices that lost at least one full-time staff, nearly all respondents said it's been difficult or very difficult to fill vacant positions with qualified successors. Most, 86% at this point, said that they had not received applications from enough qualified candidates and almost two-thirds said that salaries offered were not competitive. Also one of the problems in higher education sometimes. So uh, I think this article really touches on a number of good things uh, to keep in mind. Hopefully if any of my colleagues out there saw that survey, I think I responded to myself. I know in talking to other colleagues from across the state, concerns of trying to refill positions, sometimes due to budgetary matters has been the biggest problem, let alone, you know, having a pool of people looking that they would work for you. And again, we tend not to be in the community colleges quick to the draw as far as pricing ourselves appropriately. In other words, having salaries that people will be attractive to come in to work for us. But I'm not going to complain all day about it. And don't worry about this. Uh, we are right here now at the end of the show, as always. I don't have an idea, you two. We're not even going to worry about a last sip today. Uh, we're just going to move along because I want to keep us on time so we can have extra time with Dana <laughs> come Friday's show. So I do want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. This has been episode number 194, recorded Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. What's Brewing Cisla is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and... Dana Yarbrough. Hey, everybody. Have a great day. Have a great week.